everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Caroline Talks. I am your host, Caroline Hines, film critic and journalist. And this is the podcast YouTube channel where I speak to film creators about their work, the industry, and what inspires them. And today, this is one of my, epi- my episodes for the South by Southwest um, Film Festival. I always want to pause when I say that, but the South by Southwest Film Festival. And today, I'm joined by writer and actor Kevin Yee to discuss his project, um, it's called A Guide to Not Dying Completely Alone. And this project, actually, the story that you discussed in the show actually kind of hits me kind of close to home because I'm going to be 40 years old this year. Mm-hmm. I'm 39. <laughs> My birthday, I don't even know. I have a twin sister and we're always like, how did we get here? How did we get to be 39 turning 40 in August? Like, but like, so when that, when your character discusses that, I'm just like, ooh, that's like me. <laughs> but we'll yeah. get into that <laughs> before. And like, this is a character who's going through a lot of life changes and he's having an existential crisis, which we all go through at pivotal moments of our life. But before we do that, we're, I'm going to ask you, Kevin, to first of all, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about the project. I appreciate you taking the time to do that and um, congrats on it. And I really enjoyed it. But as usual, I'd like to have my guests say a bit about themselves and what inspired them to create the process they've made. So for you, Kevin, what inspired you to create this A Guide to Not Dying Completely in the Woman? <laughs> well, exactly what you're talking about. I think that I'm just having that moment myself. I turned 40 this year, actually. So I'm just a little bit ahead of you. Um, <laughs> but I, I wrote this a project about six years ago originally. So it was kind of when I was in my mid thirties. And I feel like in my twenties, I was really like ambitious and I knew what I wanted. And then something switched when I turned 30, when I started to look around and I realized my ambition didn't include family, it didn't include friends, it just included work. And I realized how alone and detached I was to society. So I wanted to talk about that because I do feel like that's something a lot of people go through in society, but also specifically through the queer Asian lens, which I think is not very often seen on television. So it's specific, but it's also kind of universal in that way. And I also don't think there's necessarily an answer to the question that I'm posing for it. I think you know, loneliness and detachment is just something that we're dealing with more and more with social media and with where we are in a very divided, well, in America, very divided country, also in Canada, very divided zoo. Um, But how do we kind of deal with the journey is more the question that I'm asking. And so in the show, you get to watch this um, gay Asian character go through this in, in a way that he specifically would, but in a way that I think that no matter who you are, no matter what your background, you can pull from that as well. Mm, yeah, like, I think for a lot of people, um, when, we, when we're in our 20s, we're so, first of all, when we're in our teenagers, like, we always look forward to becoming an adult. We're just like, I can't wait to become an adult. Like, yeah, I'm going to have all this autonomy, do whatever I want, spend money. And then you become an adult. You're like, wait, I have to pay bills. You know, I have to worry about the next step. I have to worry about buying groceries. You're, and you, you have autonomy, but with autonomy comes so much responsibility and so much pressure and so much stress. And then you hit your, we hit our thirties and like the thought occurs to us, nothing that we learn in school ever actually teaches us and prepares us for life at all. Nothing. You, mm-hmm. you even like I remember like me and my friends have this conversation often that you're like you're in school and you're learning calculus and all of these things and algebra 
And unless you're in a career that specifically requires you to know calculus and algebra and chemistry and all these things, everything else that you learn, like it means nothing. Why do I need to know a Punnett square? It's not going to come in handy in the life that I'm going to lead. You know, I'm not going to be a biologist. I'm not a scientist. Why am I learning about the Punnett square? But, yeah. you, but, but, <laughs> But you know, but it kind of it does eventually kind of come in handy when you're having like random conversations. You're like, okay, I understand your next because I learned this. But it doesn't teach us about actually living, you know, about living life. And when we're in our 30s, we I think we all go through like an existential crisis. Like either whether you become sick or you're discovering yourself sexually, you're you're having all of these. Um, I think I think for a lot of people, especially that, that's when we have a lot of struggles with our families and with our and with our. Um, like our siblings, our parents in particular, because I, we are adults, but you, you, we still don't want to be seen as adults. We still want to be coddled because like life is hard. Life is stressful. And that's what your character played by you goes through. Like he's having this, and like I said, um, this existential crisis. He's like, I'm going to be 40. I'm turning 40. Like, what have I accomplished in my life? You know? And that's something we can all relate to. I related to that. I had an existential crisis <laughs> in my mid in my mid thirties. I was diagnosed with uh, multiple sclerosis. I was in school getting oh, wow. my, my I was in school getting my diploma for paralegal studies, and I legit went one day was just like I had to make a choice. I'm like, do I really want to be a paralegal? <laughs> you know, mm. and I and like that was, uh, and I had a lot of discussions with my family and with my friends, and like we were all, everyone was like, get a real job. Being a paralegal is a real job. I'm like, being a film critic is a real job too. But and but that's <laughs> amen. But, you know, but, but amen, <laughs> amen. But and like your character, he does the same thing. He like he wants to be a writer. You know, he yeah. had this dream of being a writer. He had to come. Up to, he had to get to the same point where he's like. What, what have I accomplished? And even though he's accomplished things in his work, in his job, like that's not what he really accomplished. And that's the thing that I think, I think for a lot of us as adults, like we, we're not really allowed to define what our own accomplishments are. You know, like society tells us being accomplished means having a, having a, a well-paying job, having a 401k, which I do not have. I do not have any retirement savings. I do not own a house. And I don't think- But luckily you're in Canada. <laughs> Renting is fine for me. If anything goes wrong, I can go to my landlord and say, fix this. I don't have to worry about fixing it myself. Right. Yeah. But like life, but society tells us these are the accomplishments that make us worthwhile adults. And like, why is it that way? And so I want you to talk a bit about just like when you yourself were having this kind of existential crisis, like it took you six years to get this project. I didn't think it's 40 is a milestone. I think to me, 40 is a significant milestone. And for you to be having this journey for like the last six years of not only as, as you yourself, Kevin, but, and, but as a queer Asian gay man, but also as a creative, you know, and like you had this six year journey and then you have this pivotal, this thing is happening at 40, which I think is kind of serendipitous that that's when your character has that same moment. You know, he has that, he has, he's like, putting his steps he's taking the first step at 40 as well and this is happening for you at 40 in 2023 and it's happening at Sundance like for you let's start there like just like that six-year journey yeah I uh, you know I've had this question in my head I think for a long time even before my mid-30s because I grew up being a very good boy I was a very good person that realized like I did all the rule, like I followed all the rules. I did everything that people told me that I should do. I took all the steps that people told me I should do. 
But as my career went on, as I started as an actor mostly. And so as my career was going on, I was realizing that the world actually isn't fair. And especially the entertainment industry isn't fair. The best and most talented person doesn't always get the role. And now that I'm on the writer's side as well, and I'm writing for TV shows, I'm seeing who gets cast and I'm seeing that it's usually just the hair color or it's, or it's somebody famous, you know, like somebody who has a lot of followers on TikTok will book the role. But I didn't know that when I was younger. And so I was trying to just follow the rules and be good. And there was this pressure that I built upon me because I kept on going, the reason why my career isn't further is because of me. The reason why I'm alone is because of me. The reason why I'm not succeeding in the way that other people, predominantly cis straight men are succeeding is because of me. So I have to work harder. And it burned me out very, very young. I just got really, really tired. And I started to question the system. And I think once you question the system, you kind of can't go back. Because you have this other this realization suddenly uh, that the world isn't fair. And then it's the question of how do you exist within the world? And so within my 30s, too, I also saw a lot of people like succeeding in huge ways. I saw a lot of people getting married, having like long-term relationships, people that I never like imagined that they would be married before me or like be in relationships before me were, uh, were starting to compromise so that they could live the lives that they wanted. And I've still struggled to that now, even six years later, <clears throat> there's a, there's a relevancy to the script that, I think is more apparent now that I'm 40 than when I was in mid my mid thirties because the pandemic happened mm. and it exacerbated so many of the emotions that I'd already been feeling about myself and about my loneliness and about wanting to go out and change my life. And the questions that I had of like, can, is it even possible? Is it possible? Because, and this is like, as the series goes on, if I'm ever given the opportunity to, complete the series like I think a lot of it has to do with like systemic issues within our society uh, can we like grow in this society like can I grow as a queer Asian person as I'm telling you like I'm realizing it's not fair that there are things racial issues and sexuality issues that I know have held me back that people have told me have held me back I think there's also like generational trauma where a lot of it has to do with like my Asian upbringing and like the, the kind of the trauma that was passed down from me from my own family and from my own parents that I now have within my DNA. So it's like, can you fight things that seem inevitable and a system that's already broken? And that's why I say, I don't think that this series is, an, is about giving an answer but it's about showing a journey. Right. I, I, and I think it's important that you don't even try to answer any kind of particular questions because for one thing, everyone's journey is different. You know, everyone, no, everyone's journey has a different meaning for them because we all have different, some of us have similar struggles, but because of who we are individually, like they're not exactly the same, you know, like even for you, like you're, like you're speaking as a, queer um, as an Asian gay man in the entertainment industry, but your journey isn't going to be the same as another 
Asian gay man in the industry, you know, because like you started at different points and your, your, your path is like meandering differently, but, but we all can relate to having to take a journey. You know, we all can relate of having to come to a point where we decide who am I, who am I right now? Who am I going to be tomorrow? And who do I want to be? Because every day, each journey is a day by day thing. You know, like every day we wake up, we have to decide this is what I'm going to do today. This is how I'm going to approach my life today. You know, and I think, and I think like in, in using like the analogy of your, of your series, be um, a guy to like, like every guide is different. Like, you know, like you can read a guidebook, but like, depending on where you begin at that point in the guidebook, like the steps are going to be different. If you started 10, if someone started 10 steps early than you, like your steps are going to start differently. And that's the thing. That's a, one of the analogies in the, in the, in the episode that is touched on. Like there's a character, uh, Rory, she says that, you know, she uses the analogy of like, you know, you have like the journey is going to be hard, but you have to take that first step. That first step is the hardest. And it is because like we, we're like, Taking any kind of journey, whether it's a physical journey of actually like traveling somewhere or a metaphorical journey of like pursuing a new career, doing um, a project, like deciding to write a book or write a series, like the sitting down and taking that step for like as a writer is hard. It's very funny. Like you're looking at this blank page, you're like, what do I do? Like, where do I start? And like, like for me, I always like for me, when I'm writing an article or a review or anything, I have the idea in my head, you know, I know what I want to say, but actually sitting down and putting that first word on that blank page is sometimes the hardest and, you know, that you got to take a point, but I think it's also important that, and it's acknowledged again in this series where you say the the step is going to, it's going to continue to be harder, you know, it's going to continue to be hard, but you at least were brave enough to take the first step. And so for you, like talk about the bravery of, of Ben's, um, journey because I think it's kind of interesting that you started with him having a panic attack and he sees this older um this older Asian man in the mirror and it only becomes clear later in the episode who this older Asian man is but if you don't like in the beginning you think oh wait, is he seeing himself in the future like you know is he seeing like he hasn't moved in the future like is is he gonna even with regards to this big life-changing event this panic attack he still doesn't move. So talk about starting it there. Cause I thought it was an interesting place to start the story. Yeah. I think for me, I, that is kind of the realization is that sometimes if you hold things in so much, your physical body will force you to address it. Hmm. Like your mind, you, you need to address these things. You can't ignore them. And so for me, it really was during I mean, this, this was, I wrote this before the pandemic, but I had my first panic attack during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And it was really when I was sitting there realizing how precious life is, how quick it is, and how I really hadn't accomplished things in my life that I wanted to, um, more career wise, but then I was like, also like in relationships as well. And I think what I'm realizing, not just for myself, but for my friends around me, a lot of people that, you know, I grew up in as an actor. And so I have a lot of friends that are, were quite successful younger. Mm-hmm. And then they've had to kind of reconfigure their lives. And I'm realizing that everyone 
has to have a moment of clarity when they realize that they're on a path that is not going to make them happy. I mean, I think some people have it very young, but a lot of people around me are having that right now. And so that transition is something I find very important. A lot of my own writing for my other scripts as well has to do with starting over because I, in my life, have had to start over many, many times. I, I've, I've had many different, I've always been in the entertainment industry, but I've been on TV. I've been on Broadway. I've been in the music industry. I've lived in Toronto. I've lived in New York. Like I've lived many places and I've had to start over. Coming to LA was also really starting over because like for the first five years when I moved here and I moved here in my, like right when I turned 30, I didn't work for the, like essentially for the first five years being here. And that's also what exacerbated the story to come out of me of this, like, what is the purpose? And so within the story, and I, I, I feel like, yes, it is kind of giving it away at the ending, but I will say that that is supposed to represent the father. And there's another twist, obviously, that I won't say, but that the father is something that I also recognize because my own it's based off of my own father, who I'm also estranged from. And he also, when I talk about like following rules, like he was a Chinese immigrant that came to Canada and he immediately started working in a way that you're supposed to and that his parents taught him and their parents taught them of just like, you're supposed to get a job, you're supposed to stay there for your entire life, and then you retire. You get married, you have kids, then you retire. And that's what he did. Like, he worked for Canada Post, he was there until he was 65, and then he retired. And him and my mother separated when I was younger, and he holds a lot of resentment because towards her because that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be miserable together for the rest <laughs> of your life. And so the question... And and the question that I had within myself when I was going through this, you know, within the past five, six years is just like, at some point you have to acknowledge it. I'm in a way lucky that it was in my 30s. He was 65. Like he retired. And then it's like the question of realizing that no company cares about you. Yeah. It's so careless about how people will work for a company and then retire. And it'll literally be like, here's a card. <laughs> Bye. You're retired. And then your whole life was working for Canada post, which isn't a bad thing <laughs> necessarily. Hey, job, security, but so. job security. But if, if you've not ever found your passion, you find it like you can find it at 30 or you can find it at 65. But at some point you, there's a real life, there has to be some kind of realization for most people that, you know, a job is just a job and like, it shouldn't define you and that something needs to change within you so that you can find that your joy because life is so short. And if we're like holding on to milestones, I think that uh, you lose, you lose yourself. Like I used to always, when I was younger, like booking a huge job was such a dream. Like I was like, I'm happy now. But after the second or third time that happened, I realized that it's just a job. Sure, like Hollywood is a dream and Broadway is a dream, but it's like, there's more to happiness than that job. 
And so that's kind of been the journey that I've been on, even in this industry for the past, you know, six years, yes, but even decade, like moving to LA is like trying to find my voice, what makes me happy as an artist, you know? Um, so it's, it's a double thing that I'm doing because I'm trying to find my humanity and my, you know, me as a person, but I'm also finding me as an artist because I've been a performer that has spoken other people's words for my entire life and begged people for, uh, for to be part of their project. And now I'm kind of like trying to take back my, myself and my voice so that I can create for Hollywood, what I believe is authenticity. And I think that's like, the switch within me happened around my thirties when I was like, I cannot, I cannot just be other people's like clay. I have to be my own voice. And I think that all that helps me as a human as well. <laughs> so that's a bit of a, no, and, and, and I think that's, I think that's great because in even like in talking about your dad, like I'm from, as I said, I'm from Barbados and the, and the mentality and the culture is exactly the same. Like when you're in a job, you're supposed to stay in that job for like until it's time to retire. You know, there are people who like, like your dad who work in one job. They, they're like, this is job security. I know, I, I know I'm going to have this, especially if it's a government job, like Canada Post, those kind of government jobs, people stay in those jobs forever because they're like, you can't fire me that easily. I'm going to have my government pension. <laughs> and everything and like you can't blame them but even in doing so it's still that you can you can work in that job until you retire but it's still important to like pursue like your passion as a hobby you know like ha like if you love fishing con like continue to do fishing if you love arting if you love arting if you love being a, if you love <laughs> i love it pursue art as like a hobby you know like it's important not to like just give your all to this one thing especially to conglomerates and companies and government they don't care about us we're we're replaceable someone will leave tomorrow and they'll they'll be and while you are while you are while they're processing your 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 um your papers to leave they're looking for someone to replace you if you fall sick and die they they'll call they'll be like oh that person's gone oh well call the employment agency and find someone to replace them you know like we're replaceable we are just like a small spoke in this general in this gigantic wheel so it's important that we have to make our lives our lives matter for us. And that's um as you say, like I, I can relate to that. And even like you're talking about people like, oh, you have artists who pursue their passion, passion in Broadway, in film and TV, they want to be a dancer, but then it can that can still become like a very routine thing, you know? Like you're like, oh, I I I I yeah, sure, I'm an actor pursuing acting and I have a job, but then I think for a lot of people, it, that can still become like a routine, you know. And there's, and like, I know I have a lot of friends um, who are, are actors and work in the entertainment industry and they, they struggle with this. They're like, I'm, I'm working hard to get this job. You know, I'm working hard in auditions to get this role. And like the, the struggle is so hard. Like the entertainment industry is so hard, especially for people of color, you know, especially for black people, for Asians, for Southeast Asians. And it's so hard. And, but like, they still also talk about the, the, the struggles while they're well when they get the job you know like it's not perfect you still got to make sure that you stay happy with yourself and um and that you that you that you in some way make the job matter for you and and I think that's and I think and I think it's also important that for people that we real that we recognize that 
even in achieving our dreams, that is that doesn't make everything perfect. You know, you still got to work at it. You still got to make it happy. Like I love being a film critic. I love being a film journalist, but I still got to work at it. It's not hard. It's not easy. I also see people like, oh, people say, oh, you just watch movies for, uh, you just watch movies and that's your job. It's not. Like I got to be pitching pieces to our editors. And like if I, I can pitch pieces to editors and they don't pick them up, you know, I got to dust myself off and try and, and like pitch another piece because that's how that's my job. And like a lot of people, they see the glamorous side of things, but they don't see like the hardships, you know, like for you, like someone will say, oh, you got your 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 episode to show at South by Southwest that like, you're made it. No, you still got to work at getting this this project produced you know and even if it does get produced you got to make sure that you that that what's shown for the audience remains what you want it to be that the studio execs don't try to control and change the narrative and the meaning of the story that you have Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I feel like I used to always feel like if I got a certain thing that I would be complete and especially like looking for jobs and waiting for jobs and like, oh, if I only booked Broadway, then I'll be complete. And I booked Broadway. I've, I've done several shows and it's like I wasn't complete. And so it's like at a certain point, I think success actually helps that move quicker because I had friends, too, that like never got their Broadway show. And that always became something that like hung over their heads. But and so they're waiting to live because they're 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 waiting for that one job that one check mark to make them complete and it's it i mean on in my perspective it doesn't but i like i said like you can be in a government job till you're 65 and that brings you joy and that's great right like i'm not saying that that can't bring you joy and that that like some people do want very simplistic like routines etc but i think a lot of people do struggle though waiting to live and the, the retirement idea is like for that character and potentially my father, like he was waiting to live for the retirement date. But it's like, no, if you've never like practiced living before then, how do you just learn to live? Mm. And so I think that's something, like I said, I don't have the answer to. I still very much struggle with, especially over the pandemic. It kind of brought me back 10 steps because I was like, you know, you can't go out. I mean, now I'm just starting to go out (laughs) and it's like COVID is still very much here. And it's like, but, you know, I, I'm trying to live, but now in a world that is very divided and in a, in not, not safe, I think. And maybe the world was never safe, but this illusion of safety was there before the pandemic. And now it's very much not. And so I'm like, it is a struggle that continues. It's true. And speaking about the pandemic, like this is something I think in, I, I think this is something that has been brought up in almost all the interviews that I've done over the past year where like we can't get away from mentioning the pandemic and COVID because it has changed our lives in such a fundamental way. Like everything that we do now is post people keep saying post but i'm like covid is not over people the it's still here it's, <laughs> yeah. it's still there like i like no no i still wear my mask i'm not taking chances but i think i think what happened like after 2020 especially during the first major lockdown like so many people had to reevaluate their lives you know they had to find they had to re- 
reprioritize their lives like for a lot of people like they're like no i'm gonna work from home like working from home is a possibility now that's a priority for me i don't need to be spending two hours on the road traveling to and for a job where i can that i can do at home and i can be comfortable at home and that's a priority and that's the way of living their lives that's what i think for a lot of people reclaiming agency over their lives because i even speaking about like your dad like for so many people we've been told um like we belong to the people that we work for, you know, we belong to these companies, we got to listen to them. And I think for a lot of people, the pandemic sh- shook up so many things. And, and it, as I said, it made us reprioritize, but I think it also made us like, it's changed the way we look at life now. And like, even in, in, in the thought literally just occurred to me, like for the character Ben, like that his panic, and I don't even know if you had intended it to seem, but his panic attack could be kind of like, related related to the pandemic in that is like the is who he was before the panic attack and who he was after the panic attack and that's for everyone now like for all of us like there's pre-pandemic and after the pandemic like our lives have changed completely after that and um and even and i think for a lot of people like it may not it, even for you it may not have even been intentional to have it structured that way but it can it kind of can be relatable that way where like he like this is a fundamental event that has happened and the the thing that I think also really struck me in this in this episode um in the writing is the discussion of lonely of loneliness you know like for me I was very lonely at the beginning um near the ending of 2020 to 21 22 20, beginning of 2022 because I had COVID twice so I was I had to oh. stop I had to self-isolate both times. And especially for the first time, I was sick for like months. I had to self-isolate in my bedroom from December of 2020 till January, March, till like late March, early April. So I was stuck in my bedroom for like four and a half months. I could not leave my eyes. Wow. Yeah, I was that sick. And and like, I was very lonely, you know, like, and, and like I had my twin sister who I live with, but I was so, so lonely. I didn't like being in my bedroom. You know, I'm just like, and like, normally you, I would be comfortable in my bedroom. Like, you know, you go for, you go somewhere for a whole day and you just, I can't wait to get home. I can't wait to get in my bed. But I was tired of being in my bedroom. I was just so sick and tired of being in my bedroom. And like, I felt so lonely. And this is something that Ben talks about. He talks about being lonely. You know, he talks about he's sick and tired of being lonely. He has no no friends. He had no one to celebrate his bed, um, his birthday with. He was like, if I died, like no one would have cared. And I, and like it's so it's such a sad thing for someone to say, but it's also such a sad reality that that's the reality for a lot of people. And even for a lot of people, where like even if they have a lot of friends or a lot of acquaintances, like if something happened to them, you want you like, this is something that I thought about too. I'm like, if something happened to me, like how long would people mourn me? You know, like people would still go on. Life still goes on like the next day. And the other character, Rory played by Anne Brittany, she talks about something that I also related, related to where she was like her, her parent passed. And she's like, no one has told me how to handle this. You know, like no one has taught me how to handle the grief, but also to handle the mundanity of moving through grief of like you know planning the funeral like who do I call where do I go like who do I speak to and like this is and again this is a part of life that no one teaches us like we don't we don't get taught how to work through grief you know people like there are people always talk about the five stages of grief but like what do you do in while you're experiencing these five stages of grief you know how are you supposed to 
compartmentalize and also not feel guilty about compartmentalizing. You know, like you feel sad, but you that like you still have to get up and do this thing. And like no one t- teaches you that it's okay to do this. You know, like you're still dealing with all of this grief of doing this thing. Yeah, I think one thing that really like was amplified during the pandemic is how little society cares about death mm-hmm. and how much we don't talk about it and there was such a huge amount of death in such a short amount of period of time that like i just saw society be so flippant with it which was quite painful to watch because like you said like you think about yourself and your own death and you're like will people think about me because i'm seeing other people not caring you know it's the same even in the war in ukraine you're seeing huge amounts of people die in this moment and and the earthquake in turkey like huge amounts of people die and they're just numbers but Mm -hmm. each life is so precious and when we think about our own lives it's like no i've lived a life and i deserve to be remembered and i deserve to be heard but there was such a flippantness in society and then just off of what you said earlier like one thing that i really think happened during the pandemic is I realized how our social contract was broken. Mm. The idea that our neighbors would be there for us was broken. And I'm not saying across the board, but I realized how many people weren't willing to care about other people in our society because people wouldn't wear masks. People wouldn't get vaccinated. People, you know, wouldn't care about their neighbors. And with the reality of huge amounts of people dying at all at one time so it's it's a tough thing because yeah we're not taught about death and and i think that we do repress a lot of it and we move on very quickly and and especially in this time like if we it there's the numbers are so staggering that we can't acknowledge each person's death but each person's life was worth something and why do we not as a society not like uh, yeah <laughs> it's really frustrating to think about it is. i really just wish yeah no it's very frustrating and is and is so and it's very sad and and the thing is, is like sometimes we do like when like talking about the airplane in turkey like i i i had the same thoughts where like these people like they're still doing the re- recovery efforts in turkey up till now like because they're still searching they these people have to be and then they have to figure out like how do we rebuild our entire society because like so much damage was done. And then for us here in the West, it's just like it, it seems like we're just moving on nonchalantly, like we don't care. But then I, but then I still have to think, remind, remind myself, like we, like we are all, like as we've been talking about, like we all have our own individual struggles. Like you know, like there is nothing tangible we can do for those people. But I think what we can do is acknowledge, you know, because there are people who don't even acknowledge that things like that happen, you know. And I think to me, that's like, that's something I try to do. Like I'm always on Twitter, <laughs> so like I do. Me too. <laughs> it's going downhill but i'm still on <laughs> I know, right? but, but twitter is also one of the ways that i kind of like combat my loneliness because like, i have so many people on twitter that i talk to and most not even so many most of the people that i consider friends or even people i would consider family or people i know on twitter and like i know and like they know me and like and like people always say you can't have real friendships and like that is not true 
Like, you know, there are people that I've met, uh, I've met on Twitter and I've met them in real life and like, I consider them my true friends. But also what I try to do on Twitter is like, if I see like news articles or things like talking about the earthquake, I, I retweet them and I'm always trying to bring awareness because I'm like, this is how we can also, as you were saying, acknowledge that these people's lives matter, you know, and remind people that this is something happening, you know, um, and that, and I think that's important. And that I think that also kind of, um, for me personally, it helps me to, re- I think it helps me to stay grounded in a way because it helps me remember these are still battles that are being fought all around the world. Like there's a whole coup going on in, the, in Myanmar and that does not even get covered in, the, in Western media at all. But when I, but I do follow like Myanmar news thing and like I retweet them and I tell people there's a coup happening here. Like it's not covered, but that's happening. But I think, but I think that's how we can use our, um, our platforms and our talents and our passions to do this, to do this, you know, and like, and even the interviewing you, that's a part of my, I'm using my passion to do it because I think what your project is, your, your series, and I hope it really does get picked up is something that so many people can relate to and that so many people would find a way to start conversations and you're talking about, cause even like the title, the, um, a guide, a guide to not dying completely alone is something that many of us think about because we've been talking about death and we've been talking about loneliness and how life doesn't give us, how we are not taught to think about these things. We're not taught about how to process them. We're not taught about how to handle them. And um, and just like in even in having a, a show title, a guide, a guide to not die completely alone, where like it's not finished, like you're still structuring the guide, like as you and like you as the writer writing this series, you're still learning about how to go through life on like not dying completely alone, right? About forming relationships, and that's the important thing. And I think and and I think that's something else too. Like that's and uh, we haven't talked about it yet too, but this is something I, I do kind of like want to get to because. The, the thing about there's being lonely and then there's being alone. And I think there are people who can enjoy being alone. Sometimes I do enjoy being alone. I don't like, I don't need to have anyone around me and it doesn't bother me, but then there's loneliness. Loneliness, I think is where it's the most difficult thing, you know, like being, feeling isolated and feeling you don't have anyone that can relate to you and that you can't relate to or feeling that there won't be anyone to miss. And like, there's this character Rory played by, um Brittany do, 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 I have her Nichols. name Brittany Nichols yes yeah yeah um, comes <laughs> in and she she provides Ben this this um this listening ear is one that she he can relate to so talk about like getting through like this this is that step in the guide of not dying company alone this is finding in finding a friend and in finding companionship and in finding um compatibility with someone yeah, I I am also one of those people that like being alone, to be honest. And I think that is the struggle within me, because what is the difference between being alone and loneliness? And I think that it does, they meld together in my life. But one thing that I've always felt is that there are other people like me in the world. And so I am not alone in that, but that is harder to find. So... I, and I do have friends in my life that are like that, that are very like-minded in that way. But because so much of television and entertainment and just like what we see on in the media is like friends, it's a whole bunch of people hanging out like all the time. I've always been like, oh, am I supposed to be like that? And it's the idea of like, oh, uh, 
what is portrayed on television and what is portrayed in media is who I'm supposed to be. And I've always struggled with the idea of what I'm supposed to be versus what I feel like I want to be. Because I do spend a lot of my time alone even before the pandemic, but I also don't like crowds of people. I also don't like, you know, going to bars. I don't drink. So it's like, yeah, like I'm, it's, (laughs) I mean, and, and it's okay. Like people should have that life and people should go do that. But that I feel is what is imposed upon us. And so part of the project too, is this idea of like self-help books and just self-help like quotes <laughs> that like come on Twitter and Instagram that that like you're supposed to follow these quotes because that's normal. And you're supposed to follow these steps because that's normal. You want to be normal, right? You want to be like the friends on friends, right? So you have to follow these things. And it I kind of go. I think there's a lack of representation across the board in Hollywood, whether it be like racial or sexual or like, you know, but I think it, it's also the idea of thought. Like there's not a lot of different thoughts in Hollywood and in media. And so one thing for me is like, I don't think you should have to be like friends to feel complete. I don't think you should have like to have family dinners every like twice a week, three times a week to feel like you have a family. I think that like you can live differently too and find that happiness. And that's why I say like for my show, I don't want to give an answer because I don't think there is an answer. And I think that humans have different thoughts and different ways to exist in the universe. So it's like, there is no one way, but a lot of things like self-help books are like, you have to do this in order to be happy and they're always like sassy too. They're like, unfuck your life <laughs> or something like, they're all weird titles. Like it's your fault that you're fucked up and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, no, like there are many different ways to get to where you need to be. And so with the relationship between Ben and Rory and finding that, and that's really what I think the series would follow is two people that are outsiders that find each other and help each other, like lift each other up when they need each other, but that they don't have to fit in to the norm, the norm, quote unquote. And that it is also sometimes you find connection with people that you don't think you would. And so it's like, but you have similar backgrounds. And so I think a queer Asian character and this is also something that I find really important to talk about would have a lot of like similar things to like a black lesbian and a lot see the world in a very similar way and the way that the world has treated them. And that like two people from different backgrounds can come together and find friendship and ways to lift each other up um, in a way that's, that's not just following the norm and not just like, listening to some Instagram quote. <laughs> no, true. And I love that. I love that because like I I like I like being around I well my I what I've I I because I thought about this. I'm like, what would I consider myself? Am I an introvert or an extrovert? I call myself an extroverted introvert. Where in like I, I'm I'm happy. I like I I like to be alone. Like and I think that's because I've grown so accustomed to working from home because like most of my work job work is from home. 
and like watching dramas all day when I finish work I can't turn on TV and watch a drama all day or watch movies and I'm comfortable being um alone but when I go out I also like I like to be around people but not being around too many people I don't like crowds and that's possible and that's more because I'm like five feet I'm very tiny and I <laughs> and everybody else is taller than me so I'm always just like let me stay away from the crush and like you know I'm I like to observe people too so like I was I'm the kind of person I would stand back and I would observe people but if I if someone comes up and talks to me I'll be happily talking to them and and I so I can kind of relate to you and I also don't drink alcohol I'm so I'm like my dad I'm like yeah. the designated like the designated friend like every, when I go up with people and if they're drinking I'm the one person that doesn't drink so I'm always the one watching out for like shady people but mm. I but I I and so I kind of I relate to you and to both the characters uh, that way because just I that's why I said like this show I'm like it speaks to me <laughs> so I relate a lot to it but another thing and this is we're going to begin to wrap it up but this is something I was thinking about for the whole I think the I think part of the whole concept of the show and like everything we've been discussing about is also breaking cycles mm-hmm. you know it's about breaking the cycle of self-isolation of feeling unwanted and feeling unloved and feeling unneeded but then it's also breaking the cycles, I think. And it's hinted at very subtly, and I could um, but let me know if I'm right, um, of familial isolation too and forgiveness. Because like um, like there we talked a bit about um Ben's um father, and like his father has the same name as him, and his dad's had the same name as him. And I I'm not gonna spoil it, but there's something that's shown at the end of the episode that made me think, oh wait, he's trying to, he's breaking the cycle because. You have these people, this, these three generations of men where like one is following the footsteps of their father and like he and like Ben is not. I'm going to try to break the cycle of false, stopping of uh, following in my father's footsteps because I don't want to end up like my grandfather per se, because like from what I saw in the, in the picture, like his grandfather was young. Right. And like he and that's kind of what happened to Ben. He was like, I could have died young in this um in this bathroom right and so I kind of saw it as breaking the cycle of like that part of his family lineage and like what it means to be isolated and also what it means to not also pursue pursue dreams because you can look at it as both of these of these three men were also working the same cycle you know following the same cycle go to work come home go to work come home and do it and do it again over and over until you retire and Ben is just like I'm going to break this cycle because I don't want to be like them. And like, is, and that like, you're just like, also I'm, I'm pursuing happiness. I'm going to break the cycle of unhappiness and I'm going to pursue happiness as a way. So like, I want you to talk a bit about that. Cause I thought that was very intriguing, especially with the little note, the dedication he made to his, um, to his father, but cause that's something I need to work on with my parents too. I still need to work <laughs> on them, but yes. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly right. Like, and within my own relationship with my father, like, as I've gotten older, I see myself in him or I see him in myself now a lot where I'm like, oh God, I'm turning into him. And that's my biggest fear. But in the way that, so my father and I have been like estranged for over 20 years now. So I've not had him in my life at all. But when I think about it, like I believe that we will never have a relationship again. I think it is really too late. There's so much divide between us. But his father also had a very tumultuous relationship with him. 
So I feel like a lot of what happened between myself and my father is a, uh, is because of what happened with him and his father. And so he is just passing down the trauma to me. And I personally don't think that I will ever have kids. So I have no trauma to pass down. So it's kind of ends with me, but you know, my brother does have kids and my brother is the good son with, you know, a wife and, and a government job now my my brother is very much like my father now and but my my brother even is trying to break the cycle in many ways and he's trying to be the thought the the parent that he didn't feel like he had so it's kind of like this passing down trying to break it and i wonder if it is just the moment we're living in with social media we're more aware now i think a lot of like our the older generation, like mental health wasn't as important. And now like with our generation, mental health is important. Going to therapy is important. Like talking about these things is important. And the older generations, like it was more repressed. So it's like, it feels like this generation in this moment is when we can break this. If, if we try, um, or else it just keeps going. <laughs> so but I think, yeah, that's exactly what the story is. It is just like, and of course I can only show 11 minutes <laughs> for this pilot. And I, you know, I do have a full 30 minute script, but that's all, the 11 minutes was all I could afford. Um, but as it moves forward, it is, like I said, a, a more relatable story to everyone because it is about, you know, the themes of like aging, dying alone, but it's told very specifically through a gay Asian viewpoint and things like Chinese culture, queer culture, the things that we pass down, uh, like that does come into play. And so that is something that is explored, just like cultural things like Asian immigrant families not, you know, caring about mental health or understanding mental health. The older generations and how the younger gener generations like it's passed down into our dna that trauma and we have to like try and get out of that so it's a it, there's a lot of themes going on but i think like the initial theme of just my my goal with it was just the initial theme of like this relatability of aging dying alone and then the series continuing does have this very nuanced kind of arc of it being queer and asian related mm -hmm. Great. Thank you so much. This was such a great conversation. And I really do hope that you're able to get it and produce, you know, check out Apple TV. But <laughs> because you no, know, because I think it's something that's so like as we, we've been talking about so many people not only relate re, can relate to, but I think it's something so many people I think are afraid to talk about too. Like there are a lot of people like we we we, we think about these things and we're aware of them, but like, I think a lot of people are afraid to um vocalize their fears you know there are a lot of people are afraid to vocalize like they're afraid of dying alone they're afraid of going through traumatic experiences alone like you could be sick you know you can need surgery and like there's no one in in their in their life that could help them get through it you know and so I think that's something that does need to be talked about more like we always talking about like, as you're saying, like, this is a generation that's talking more about mental health and about seeking therapy and about being open um, to talking about mental health. But I think a part of that also has to talk about vocalizing the fears that we have, too. You know, and you, like, you can talk about mental health and you can talk about things like 
conditions like depression and anxiety and 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 like schizophrenia and, and panic disorders and bipolarism but that you also got to talk about the simple things of like just being afraid you know fear is a fundamental feeling that all of us experience and like your show I think does tap into that a lot it, like talks about being afraid of like failing and you know being afraid of like not pursuing those dreams so I really do hope you're able to get it um, produce it as someone fix it up for you and congratulations on even just doing this because like making a pilot is not easy <laughs> it's not and it's very expensive so <laughs> i hope everyone can see it one day <laughs> great thank you so much for speaking with me kevin this was a joy <laughs> yeah of course thank you so much for having me so everyone that was another episode of karen and toss and today was joined by writer and actor um kevin yee to discuss his pro his episodic project a Complete Guide to Not Dying Alone, which will premiere at the 2023 South by Southwest Film Festival. It was so great to talk to him. We actually had a great little chat after we finished recording, but it was so much fun to talk to him. And I love having these kind of in-depth conversations with filmmakers and writers and producers about the projects they're working on, because I think it tells us a lot about how other people are feeling about life. And it was great to have this conversation with Kevin to talk about how he's feeling about life and like his hopes for himself as a creator and as a person and as a as an Asian gay man in the entertainment industry working towards representation and also to have a story revolving around three people because it's going to be about his character Ben the character of Rory played by Brittany Nichols and also Ben's father and I really do hope that he does get this series produced because I think it's a story that a lot of people that everyone can relate to but the the twists and turns that is going to be included in the story but also made for great television as well and great and great conversations so congratulations to him and the and the entire crew and also we didn't I didn't mention it but the uh, pilot episode was directed by Yen Tan so like congratulations to Yen and everyone who worked on the project and for um, just like giving their time to do this project because creating pilot episodes and, and short films is not easy. It's difficult. It's as difficult as making a feature length film. So um, I hope they all have a successful festival season and that this project really does get made. And, um, and this is, again, an episode for the South by Southwest coverage. And you can find other versions, other episodes of Karen and Talks um, but why though.net as well as on ACAS and other podcast streaming platforms, you can find the video, the video versions of my interview with Kevin and other um, coverage for South by Southwest and Sundance and TIFF from last year on my YouTube channel. So that's youtube.com slash at symbol Carolyn underscore Hines. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Carrie CNHL. That's C-R-I-E-C-N-H-1-2. And this, epi this episode with Kevin will be published on joysauce.com where you can find other coverage that I've done there. Um, and then I interviewed E. John Jay for his film Hunt, which premiered at the 2023 South by Southwest Film Festival. And until the next episode of Caroline Talks, everyone, stay safe. Bye. Ooh.